Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. You have been going through a series, The One Another's, and uh, Ephesians is an important, important piece of the puzzle here. Uh, if you study the book of Ephesians, the key word, you may know this if you are a Bible student of any degree, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If you're a Bible marker, and even if you're not, I would encourage you to take a pencil or a pen sometime and begin at Ephesians chapter 1 and go through and either circle or underline all the in Christ realities that you find, and hence Ephesians is often called the, the book of riches in Christ or the Christian's bank. But why are these one another uh, commands so profoundly important? Because when you enter into life in Christ, when you begin to believe and you come to this reality that Christ is who he said he was and who he is who he said he is and he did what he said he would and he will do what he said he will do, when you come to that reality, you believe in this new creed. And you enter that reality, and we often use the term, you've become a believer, right? You've heard that term. Sometimes it's a tomb, depending on what church you go to. And that is true, but it's woefully inadequate. Because not only do you believe a creed, when you come to new life in Christ, you then belong to a new community. Okay? You, you have this new sense of belonging. Romans 12, 5, Paul says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one body. 1 John 1, 7, right? We have fellowship with one another. And uh, we come together in this new community. And now, I have ministered in probably, I don't know, two or three hundred churches over 27 years. And in most of the churches, many of the churches that I visit, there's more uh, concern, and this is not uh, an, uh, an unimportant concern, but often there's more concern about the theological correctness of what they believe than they do the theological realities of how to belong. And those two things always march hand in hand. And, and in some churches, you know, it's understood that you don't stand up and, and say something that you think differently on a significant doctrinal issue. Or, you know, you're going to be called out on that. But, but it's sad that in churches, people can trespass for years the clear teaching of belonging in a church. Because there's some rules for belonging in a church. And people will trust that past that. And nobody has the courage to say, hey, listen, you know what? You are actually unkind. And the theological reality of belonging in this community, according to the, teachers of the teaching of the Word of God, is that you are to be kind. And so we got, we've got to keep that in, in, in mind. And, and listen, the one another's, the one another's are the theology of belonging. That's how God instructs us the way in which we live. One as one body is through this theology of the one another's. And so today our one another is found in Ephesians chapter 4, but I'm going to begin with verse 31, although my focus will be on verse 32. So hear the word of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. We read, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. If you translate that from the Greek directly, that says, stop being part of Facebook. <laughs> I'm only half kidding. 
If you want to listen carefully, church, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say, because I think this has become uh, a significant issue in our world right now. If you want to renew your ability to have a Christian influence amongst people who are far from God, please remember this. You are not called to be God's lawyer. You're called to be God's witness. Did you hear that? You're not to be God's lawyer and the the hubris that that can take on, but you are called to be his witness. And so there's no place amongst his people for what we have just read, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Got to go. Now we go on to verse 32. Here's what we read. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So let's just begin by unpacking those two words, right? Because we're to be kind and we're to be compassionate. Kind, of course, is the adjective form of the noun kindness. Kindness. To be kind is to be forbearing and gentle, and sympathetic, and benevolent, and helpful. Have you ever noticed that kind people are always helpful people? That's often how their kindness is manifested. And we are commanded to be kind to one another. God himself demonstrates to men and women as his children, and especially to his covenant people, kindness. And as a response to that merciful kindness, those of us who are new identities in Christ are to be kind to each other in the Christian community. And this doesn't come naturally sometimes, frankly, right? It just doesn't come naturally enough. In fact, we read in Galatians chapter 5, it's actually a fruit of the Spirit. It needs God's help sometimes to be kind. Uh, Adam Lindsay Gordon, the great Australian poet, I like to read poetry, I read a lot of poetry, Uh, He wrote this little poem on kindness. I think it's kind of cute. He writes this, Life is mostly froth and bubble. Now that sounds like the last year and a half, doesn't it? Life is mostly froth and bubble. Two things stand like stone. Kindness in another's trouble and courage in your own. The great uh, Rabbi Abraham Herschel wrote this, When I was young, I admired clever people. But now that I am old, I admire kind people. We're called to be kind. And then compassionate, compassionate. Compassionate, in some translation, it says to be kind and be tender-hearted. That's a nice word, isn't it? Tender-hearted. A friend of mine, early in my days in ministry, said, ministry is going to be tough. Two things you need to do. Keep your heart big, keep your heart soft. Keep your heart big and keep your heart soft. Compassion is when we respond to the predicaments of other people with help and with hope. We see this so clearly in the words and actions of our Lord Jesus, Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Luke 178, because of the tender mercy of our God, this tenderheartedness 
Familiar verse, Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Extracted directly, of course, from the story of the Good Samaritan. One last verse. Luke 15, 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, the second last verse I gave you was the story I mentioned of the Good Samaritan. That verse comes from what story? Does anybody remember? Prodigal son. You see, the Good Samaritan, he finds himself in a tight spot, in a predicament, not of his own doing. The prodigal son, he finds himself in a difficult place, completely of his own doing, but the compassion still flows freely. Plato said, be kind for everyone. Listen to this. This is so... Uh, This is so interesting in the day in which we live. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. I found that to be so true. Let me show you a picture of of a man, an older man. This man's name is Sonny Fox. Sonny Fox, there he is. Anybody recognize him? Nobody knows him, okay. Well, Sonny Fox uh, passed away in January from uh, COVID. He got COVID. He was 95 years of age, and he passed away. Now, I'll show you a picture of Sonny Fox when he was quite a bit younger. So you may, somebody may, now does anybody recognize him now? You'd have to be old to recognize him. But does anybody recognize him? Maybe not. Well, Sonny Fox was in his day, which was in the 50s, a well-known, and into the 60s, a well-known television show host. He was the first uh, television host that really brought to the forefront kids on TV. You know, you might remember Art Linkletter and people like this, you know. Who, but Sonny Fox hosted a show called Wonderama. And he always had kids, and he asked kids questions, and kids loved him, and he had contests. And it was just kind of a carnival for kids. And it was immensely popular, and people loved him because Sonny Fox was a fun guy, and he was effervescent, and the kids immediately connected with him, and he had kind of this sort of bigger-than-life personality. Well, interestingly, I think that may have been in part because he was given 76 more years of life by an incredible act of kindness and compassion carried in courage. You see, on January 17th, 1945, 76 years before he died, the Soviet army began to march across Germany. And on the day, January 27th, 1945, German soldiers took an American, uh, German soldiers took an American soldier uh, as a prisoner of war. The soldier's name was Roddy Edmonds. He was of the 472nd second, second Infantry in the U.S. Armed Forces. We got a picture of, next picture. Here's Roddy Edmonds, young man taken hostage. He was put in Stalag 9B in Germany. He was the highest ranking officer in that prisoner of war camp. Now, interestingly, that prisoner of war camp included almost oddly, for some reason, 300 Jews. And the German war machine, as you well know, had a very strong anti-Jewish policy. And at this point, in the closing weeks of the war, they sensed that their defeat was imminent, 
And so they began to exterminate not just Jewish people, but Jewish soldiers of whatever army they happened to belong. Because as you know, they had this vision, right, of this final solution to wipe out Jews across Europe. Six million Jews in the Holocaust. And so in that prisoner of war camp, one evening, after, just actually right after Roddy Edmonds had arrived there and was the highest uh, level officer there, the PA system crackled one night and it said, anyone who is Jewish after tomorrow's roll call, you will step forward and all the others will be dismissed. Roddy Edmonds said, wow, that doesn't sound good, because I know what this is all about. So as the commanding officer, just a young man, as you can see, in that prisoner of war camp, he said to his fellow officers, this is what we will do tomorrow. 1,275 of us will step forward, all of us. The next morning, roll call was given. All Jews, please step forward. And with that, 1,275 men, including almost 300 Jews, stepped forward. The German commanding officer walked up face to face with Roddy Edmonds and said, What do you think you're doing? I said, Just the Jews. And Roddy Edmonds said, Sir, we are all Jews. With that, the German officer took out his pistol and pressed the barrel into his forehead very decidedly and said, I'm going to ask you again. The Jews are to step forward. Have the Jews step forward. And he said, and I'm going to answer again, Sir, we are all Jews. And under the Geneva Convention, it looks like your only op option is to shoot all 1,275 of us. But under the Geneva Convention, as a prisoner of war, a soldier that has been taken captive, all I'm required to give is my name, my rank, and my serial number. And so if you shoot all 1,275 of us when this war is over, you, sir, will die too because you will be tried and convicted of war crimes. And the German sergeant did not know what to do with that. And in disgust and despair and defeated, he reholstered his weapon and he walked away. That gave Sonny Fox, who was a soldier amongst the other Jewish soldiers, another 76 years of life and other long lives. In fact, Roddy Edmonds died 25 years before he did. His son... Roddy Edmonds' son, because Roddy Edmonds never ever talked about this act, this event in this prisoner of war camp. And the only way that it was made known is his son read about it in a diary that his father had written while he was in the prisoner of war camp. So his father was already dead. The son began to do research and he said, surely some of these Jewish soldiers are still around. And he began to do research and he did the research and the Jewish soldier said, oh yeah, I was there, I saw it, I witnessed it. Sonny Fox said, yeah, that's why I'm still alive. And so, Roddy Edmonds was declared righteous among the nations by the country of Israel, which is a very, very high honor. Only five Americans have been. And in that list of righteous among the nations are names like Oscar Schindler. His son was asked, why did your father do this? This is what he said. 
I just think he thought it was part of his responsibility, his duty, not only as a soldier of the U.S. Army to protect his men, but also as a Christian. A man of faith to do the right thing for his fellow man. You see, kindness, friends, it does require courage. Sometimes there's an earthly cost to kindness. But the Lord is no man's debtor, amen? No man's debtor. And you will not end up in arrears for your kindness. So why can kindness and compassion flow from a Roddy Edmonds facing death, an act of kindness and compassion for men he doesn't even know, and to exercise it may cost him his very life. Why does it flow to, the, to that extent, and yet sometimes it doesn't flow like it should amongst God's people? Kindness and compassion. Look at the second part of the verse, friends. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, comma, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, forgave you. Ephesians 5, if you were to read a little farther along in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 begins with, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And remember that in the original writing of the book, the chapter breaks are not in there, that the last verse here in verse uh, 30, uh, in, in uh, the last verses of chapter 4 would flow right into the first verses of chapter 5. And chapter 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Wow. Turn, if you will, quickly, just for a couple minutes to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I want to show to you... <clears throat> A beautiful story, a powerful story, right from the lips of the Lord Jesus, where we see kindness and compassion carried on the arms of forgiveness. We see Ephesians 4:32 in such a powerful way. So turn, if you will, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. You're going to recognize this story. In fact, let me, let me just turn back a little bit here. And I'm going to go back a little bit. The parable of the unforgiven servant. Remember this story? Some of you remember this story, right? Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and uh, I forgive him? As many as seven times. I think Peter had somebody he'd forgiven six times and he's thinking, do I only have to do this one more time because this is getting old. But I only got one more left, I can make it. Right? Jesus said to him, now look at the story here, okay? This is kindness and compassion carried on the arms of forgiveness. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, some of the ancient manuscripts say 77 times. What we know is it's a lot more times than we'd like to have to deal with, okay? And then he gives this amazing parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, if you know the story, 
Who is the king in the story? This is a parable, but who is the king? Come on, it's a little three-letter word. Don't be afraid. The king is God. The kingdom of God is like, well, a kingdom has a king, the kingdom of God, the king is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, you can read commentaries and theologians, and there's a vast array of how much money. Here's how much money it is. I'm going to give you the definitive answer this morning here at Temple Baptist Church. The answer is, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's like 10 times as much money as the federal government gave out in the last couple of years. Here's what it is. It's an amount of money that would be humanly impossible to be paid back. Okay? It's like if you worked at Costco and you left the hot dog machine on some night and the whole Costco burnt down to the ground and the fire marshal said, well, it was the hot dog machine left on. And, and, and you said, oh my goodness, I left a hot dog machine. And you said to the, the boss at Costco, I know the whole place burnt down and I only work here part time, but if you would take $2 off my paycheck every week, then I'll pay it back. <laughs> Humanly impossible. He owes 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, because it's impossible, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the, servants fell, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. But it's impossible. It's the hot dog machine guy at Costco. It's impossible. Never be paid back. It's unpayable. Now look at this. Look at this. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then verse 27 and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Released him and forgave him the debt. See, that's kindness and compassion. Released him and forgave him the debt. We said the king is God. Who is this servant? Who is this servant? The servant's us. The servant's us. And what you have just seen there is kindness and compassion, which in its highest form, its purest form, is grace. He releases him and he forgives him the debt. Right? Listen carefully, church. Salvation, the ultimate experience of grace, salvation is not probation. In other words, Jesus says, I'll get you out, but you got to keep up the payments. Right? A lot of churches think that, oh, salvation is probation. I used to travel a lot to Eastern Europe. And many churches there believe salvation is probation. It becomes a weapon. You miss a Sunday at church, oh, yeah, your probation could get revoked, right? Now look at this. Look what happens here. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now how much is that? 
That's a whole lot less than a thousand talents. Some have said the top number today could be 20 million, 200 million, and the bottom number could be 20 bucks. I don't know. But it's not much. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he could have. Give it just a bit of time, because it wasn't that much money. It's a totally opposite situation as what he has just experienced. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. See, when we hold people hostage to a debt, when somebody in our life, we say, you know what, you have said something to me, you have done something to me, you haven't done something to me, you've acted in a way that has been uh, unacceptable, hurtful, unkind, uncompassionate, I am now officially moving you over into the debtor's column of my life. I'm going to set you right over there. And I don't care if there's something that you could do. To, I, I'm not maybe even talking about it out loud, but I've moved you into the debtor's column of my life. And others around you, just like here, will see that and they'll say, you know what, something's not right here. This just ain't cool. God, God, what is going on here? Then look what we read. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you and all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which of course is impossible. So also, listen carefully, friends, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is saying at the end there, that is spitting in the eye of the goodness of God. We are commanded to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Kindness flows, listen friends, kindness flows unhindered from a well of forgiveness. Forgiveness that's been treasured by us. And that's why the verse says, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Grasp the level of your own forgiveness. A well of unforgiveness means that eventually you can only draw bitterness. And I've seen it over and over again. Now we know that sometimes life brings pain and division and hurt and, 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 and mistrust and all those things that can happen into the lives of even followers of Jesus. We know that. However, the Word of God is very clear. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, and this is not full-blown hate, I want to kill my brother. This is just harboring some ill towards our brother Hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother, whom he has, who he has see, seen cannot love God. In other words, you can't say, I love God. Oh, yeah, I'm a lover of God. But that guy, oh, man, I like to knock that guy one. You know, back in 1974, that guy said something to me I didn't like. But, boy, I love God. The text says you're a liar. 
text doesn't say that's not good. Yeah, you need to do better. The text says we are liars. So it's non-negotiable then that we pursue forgiveness so that kindness and compassion can flow unhindered. The Jesus model for reconciliation. If you're here this morning and you need that reconciliation, that new sense of forgiveness in your reality, then here's the model. Let me give you three quick steps. One is initiative. Take some initiative to heal that. Romans 5, 8. Boilerplate verse. But God shows his love for us and while we were yet sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. You take that first step, that initiative in reconciliation and forgiveness. Oh yeah, but that's really hard. You don't know what happened. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard. But James says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it is sin. So not only is the unforgiveness and the lack of kindness and compassion sinful, but the lack of taking the initiative and trying to get this sorted out, that's also sinful because now you know that you should do that. So take some initiative. One step towards forgiveness. It it can be simply a kind word, a loving gesture, an acknowledgement. It will begin to set in motion the forgiveness that you desire to experience. The second thing is humility and empathy. Humility and empathy. This is the Lord Jesus, right? Who was found, Philippians 2 8 tells us he was found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the death, even on a cross. Nobody can ever say, hey, you know, God, you know, this is really tough down here on earth. We got COVID, you know, life's not so good. And, you know, there's things. I, I don't know if you understand this, God. God moved into the neighborhood of human suffering, right? We do not have a high priest that doesn't understand what we suffer. So we need to step into the experience of those amongst us, around us. If we've got some, a bit of unforgiveness, we need to demonstrate humility and empathy. Because sometimes people who we hold unforgiveness to, they're actually in dark places. And sympathy is standing back and saying, well, you know, I kind of feel bad that life's not going so great for them. And, and I'm, going to shine a, I'm going to shine a light into that dark place that they might be in. But empathy says, no, you know what? Empathy says, my first move is I'm going to go and sit with them in the darkness. I'm going to try and walk in their pain. I'm going to try and stand in their shoes and understand their, what their experience feels like that. And I have found that humility is the soil when we humble ourselves from our own sort of high-minded that, you know, we've got this right, we know When we humble ourselves from that, humility is the soil in which empathy can grow. The third thing. I decide to forgive. I make that decision, period. I decide to forgive, period. Let me unpack that. You say, well, yeah, you know, I want to get rid of this feeling. I want to be reconciled, but I'm not sure I can forgive. Well, you're right. In in your own strength and in your own might, you cannot Right? We just can't do it. Ephesians 2.14 gives us a hint. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We look to the Lord Jesus, what he has done in us and for us. 
And then we read Matthew 6, 14, 15, which takes us back to what we read in Matthew chapter 18. For if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, well, that's going to be a problem. Let me show you a picture here. This was taken by a French photographer named Peter Hugo. Peter Hugo went to southern Rwanda now more than 25 years after a million people were killed during the country's genocide. Do you remember the genocide that took place in Rwanda? The, 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 the uh, Hutus and the Tutsis went at it. There was massive genocide. It was horrible. My wife, Cheryl, and I, we were involved with about eight or ten other families who sponsored a Rwandan family to come from Rwanda to live in the U.S. when we lived in Atlanta. So I, I, have a, you know, I feel a bit connected with this through this family called the Umpuis, was their last name. But he went to Rwanda to explore, has forgiveness taken place, and then, because of that, allowed kindness and compassion to be reborn. And he found some amazing things. So here's this couple. Now, they don't look too happy, but that was the whole point of it. He said, like, let's not do anything happy, clappy, let's just... Here's the statements he got from these two people. Mudaherna, this is the lady on... Uh, uh, Mudaherna is the man on the left. Mudaherna says this, I burned her house. I attacked her to kill her and her children, but God protected them. They escaped. When I was released from jail, if I saw her, I would run and hide. I decided to ask her for forgiveness, to have a good relationship with the person to whom I'd done evil deeds. I thank God. Now, Mukatande, who's the lady on the right, Mukatande says this, I used to hate him. When he came to my house and knelt down before me and asked for forgiveness, I was moved by his sincerity. Now, if I cry for help, he comes to rescue me. When I face an issue, I call him. You see, forgiveness opened the door for kindness and compassion to flow liberally and freely. She decided to forgive. Now, if this can be forgiven, I think anything with God's help can be forgiven. Amen? I mean, most little itty-bitty things, the background noise of life, as people of children of God, we should be able to forgive. Now, notice what I said. I said, I will need to forgive, period. Period. Okay? Why did I add period? Because so often my forgiveness, I think, and maybe your forgiveness sounds like this. Listen, I want you to fill in the next word in this sentence, right? You fill in the next word. I'm going to start the sentence, and when I stop, you add what you think is the next word. You ready? I'm willing to forgive him, but... Hey, almost all of you got that, right? Or I'm willing to forgive her, but... God initiated reconciliation. Jesus humbled himself to bring about reconciliation and both forgive us, Right? the Father and the Son, as the essence of salvation. And God himself does that, and God is completely blameless. 
Is there a guarantee that your forgiveness will work? No, because many people reject reconciliation. Even the reconciliation offered by God. People can reject it. And maybe your offer will be rejected. Your decision to forgive, but you do your part. And Romans 8, 12, 18, this should be the verse of 2021, Pastor John. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Be at peace with all men, some translations say. So if you have done this, where you have a relationship with a brother and sister in Christ, if you have done this, I'd just like to encourage you to do it one more time. Do it one more time. And then trust God and leave it with Him. Don't carry the guilt of the broken relationship. Now here's a few tests as we close this morning. A few tests to know that this forgiveness has come fully in your life so that you can be kind and compassionate. Let me give you four little tests. And one of these may resonate with you, right? First one is the resentment test. The resentment test. I really resent what they did, said, or didn't do, or, or what they said. And if, if they walk in the room, you walk out. Now, if you do the resentment test, and that seems to be true, you have not experienced full forgiveness, period. If there's some resentment. How about the responsibility test? You, you are deflecting to that person. If they hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done this. If they hadn't said that, I probably wouldn't have said this. I probably wouldn't have ended up here. I wouldn't feel this way. This one, you know, no one can make you feel anyway. My youngest grandson a couple of times over the last three uh, days, three years, felt like three years actually at times, uh, he said this about his older brother, who is actually very sweet. The youngest one, who's more strong-willed, said, he is making me mad. And I said, no, he's not. You're choosing to be mad. He, he cannot make you do anything. You, you get to choose. That's the responsibility test, right? When you, when you make others responsible, right? Uh, you, you know what? You, you are not a prisoner to somebody else's actions and emotions and things. You're free from that. He who is free in Christ is free indeed. Absolutely free. So you take the responsibility test. You still hold them responsibility. You, you haven't come to a full place of forgiveness, period. How about the third one? The third one is the revisit and rehash test. Ever do that one? That means that you're not prepared to shield others from knowing what a person has done to you. Because you're prepared to revisit and rehash it with others. Well, they're a nice person, but, you know, a few years ago, let me, I should probably just tell you, yeah, I had a thing. Now, I've forgiven them, but let me just tell you about it. Right? You want to read one of the most powerful pictures of that. Go back and read the story of Joseph in Genesis where he kept all in Egypt knowing, from, knowing what his brothers had done to him. He gets everybody to leave the room, and then he says, you're my brothers, and this is what you did to me. It's a beautiful picture, powerful picture. Next one, last one. The reaction test, right? 
Reminder and reaction test. This is a little harder one, but I've seen this. This has happened to me. This is when someone else reminds you of the person who hurt you. And you project a bit, yeah, you know what? Oh, I, I just can't get it, because that, you know, she might be a nice lady, but she reminds me of my mother-in-law. Right? And you kind of, and there's this funny, weird, kind of uncool thing happens. And they remind you of somebody who hurt you. It's probably stereotyping at the absolute worst, right? It's like, you know, you look at me and you say, well, you know, he's, you know, he's, you know, fat and whatnot. He can probably sing like Elvis. And I don't like Elvis. Right? Let me close with this this morning, friends. A couple things, a couple questions I want to ask you as we close so that you can get to a place where kindness and compassion can flow out of you like a never-ending stream. Let me ask you a couple of questions that go back to this verse. Have you experienced the canceled debt of the king? Let me ask you that again. Have you experienced the canceled debt of the king? Remember the king? He, he canceled your debt. It was completely unpayable. And the king was completely blameless in your debt. You incurred it. You couldn't pay it. There's no chance you could pay it. And he cancels the debt. He forgives the debt. He releases you. He forgets the debt. Have you experienced the canceled debt of the king? And if so, have you, are, are you comprehending that canceled debt? And then secondly, let me ask you this. Who are you holding hostage for a bit of loose change? Is there, is there somebody in your life that, that for a bit of loose change, you've got them in that debtor's column, and kindness and compassion is just, that's just a bit of a bump there. If you're holding someone hostage for a bit of loose change, I want you to know this this morning. They're actually holding you hostage. You're hostage to them. Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt so that you can move forward and liberally experience in a profound and wonderful and life-changing way joyful, joyful overflow of kindness and compassion. Lord, from the moment of my birth, I've nothing known but love on earth. By day, by night, wherever I'll be, thy loving kindness, it follows me. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father, forgive all of us. I go first when there's been times in my life where kindness and compassion have not flowed from the reality that I am forgiven. My debt has been canceled. That what you have done in me, what you have done for me at such an immense 
cost that was unpayable by me, that that grips me, grabs hold of me, and everything else, the things that I hold on to, the hurts, the hang-ups of the past, so that I can allow to flow through me kindness, tenderheartedness, helpfulness, a word in season, helping hands readily, an unknown help, a financial gift, a card in the mail, a hug, all of those things that make being a brother and sister in Christ one to another just such a delight. So, Father, may that be my experience. May I realize that my debt has been canceled and live in that reality for the glory of Jesus. Amen and amen.